Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. Sean Williams has written over 27 science fiction and fantasy books. He has won over 11 awards for his books. His latest award was the 2007 Dittmar Award for Best Novel for his book Saturn Returns. His latest book is Book Two of The Broken Land, called The Dust Devils, which continues the adventures of Roz in The Broken Land and how he needs to learn how to trust again. Sean has completed a Master's in Creative Writing at Adelaide University in 2005. He's currently a PhD candidate at the same institution. He's very involved with literature, having been a chair of several literary organisations, and he's a judge for the Aurelius Awards. Sean lives with his wife and family in Adelaide. Okay, so thanks for joining us today, Sean. Oh, my pleasure. It's nice to be here. Now tell us, how did you get into writing about science fiction and fantasy? What what was it that drew you to that genre? Well, sometimes I blame my mother because uh, when I was a kid, a very young kid, she gave me a, a, a kid's edition of Sinbad, The Adventures of Sinbad the Sailor. And oh. uh, he was a, a character, obviously, who wandered through fantastical lands, meeting all sorts of fantastical creatures who... Uh, 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 dealt with them using his brains rather than the magic waving a wand like Harry Potter. So I've always been interested in, in the fantastic and I've always been interested in characters that uh, use uh, use their intelligence, use their, their native abilities to, 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 to negotiate those landscapes. So it may have started there. Uh, sometimes I blame Doctor Who as well. Uh, <laughs> Doctor Who was very big when I was younger and then there was Star Wars that came out when I was 10 and I read all the Doctor Who novels and um, read all the Star Wars books and saw the movies, of course. So I think it was a combination of those two things that initially got me into reading and watching science fiction. And from there, it's a, a fairly short step to wanting to tell my own stories in those kind of modes, in that kind of mode. And when did you know that you wanted to tell your own stories? Were you making your own worlds up in your in your head and wanted to convey them to other people? How did that sort of evolve? I've got my early creative, earliest, very earliest creative writing books from grade three, four, five, and they all have stories about ghosts and ants, giant ants, and all sorts of fantastical kind of stuff all through these stories. So I think from an early age, I was wanting to tell stories like the ones I was seeing. Uh, and I started writing oh, reasonably substantial works in primary school and wrote several novels through high school. And, uh, uh, and that was where I was directing a lot of my creative energy. And um, when I left high school, I, I kind of convinced myself that um, um, writing wasn't a sensible thing to do because you couldn't make much money about it, <laughs> make money from it, because it is a hard kind of you know, road to take compared to things like accountancy and stuff, which I tried to do at uni. But right. at some point I decided that uh, really what I wanted to do was write these stories. I'd, I'd been doing it all my life. I'd, 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 as long as I've been able to write, I've been writing these kind of stories. So I, whether it was ingrained in me or whether it grew from a very small seed to a very large obsession, I don't know, but, uh, but it's always been there. And, and it, was a very, it was a very difficult decision to make to, to go down that path, to, to to decide that I was definitely going to pursue a life as a writer. Mm. But, uh, but sometimes it's very easy because I love it. 
it doesn't sure. really feel like work sometimes. But when did you make that decision? Because I believe you gave yourself sort of like a self-imposed deadline, 10 years to have a book published and become a full-time writer. What happened during that 10 years or, you know, how did you get there? Well, in about, uh, what, you were to 89, 90, um, I, that's when I decided that I would drop out of uni and I would make every effort possible to be a full-time writer. So, oh God, that's 20 years ago now, almost, <laughs> <laughs> which is a bit terrifying. Um, and I... I I, 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 oh, how best to put this? I, it was something that I really, really wanted to do, but that's not kind of enough, you know. Sitting at home and doing stuff you enjoy doing isn't enough to to kind of get over all the hurdles in an area like this. You need to really be goaded and really be driven to do it. And uh, I thought, well, instead of just being able to do what I want to do, I should add the, the, the fear of failure into that mix as well and say, well, if I, this isn't this isn't something that I'm going to pursue for the rest of my life. At some point, I have to decide I'm actually not good enough to be a writer. Uh, and I should try something else. One of the other things that I like doing, because I, I do believe that we have uh, various uh, paths we can pursue through life, and it's a matter of choosing the right one at the right time to pursue. Yeah. So if I, I picked 10 years because it was a good round number, and it seemed like a, a, a decent length of time to really pursue something. I, I, I always hoped that the first novel I wrote would be a massive New York Times bestseller, but I, <laughs> I figured it probably wouldn't be the case, mm-hmm. and that it would take some time to get there and... Um, um, and 10 years seemed like long enough to have a, several stabs at it and then fail. Uh, in that, and in that 10 years, I just worked and worked and worked. <laughs> mm. and what did you do in terms of earning an income in that 10 years? Well, I, when I dropped out of uni, um, I, what did I do? I got a stack of part-time jobs. I worked in a CD shop. I worked at a petrol station. I worked at, uh, in a recording studio. I... Wow. I uh, worked at a theatre, Thebden Theatre here in Adelaide. I did all these. I had, I, there was a period there where I had uh, part-time uni, four part-time jobs, and writing full-time on top of both of those. So I worked very, very hard for a while there. And gradually, after two or three years, a very small amounts of money started to trickle in from writing. So I was able to drop the odd job here and there or drop the odd shift from the CD shop. So after about... Um, nine years, I think I was down to one shift at the CD shop a week, just one four-hour shift, kind of keeping my toe hold in a, on a real job just in case of <laughs> <the> writing. <laughs> and then the day I gave that up um, after 10 years, uh, I became a full-time writer and haven't, haven't done anything else but that since. Great. So you were really committed in just using those part-time jobs to fund this effort to be a full-time writer? That's right, yes. Fantastic. I mean, I really enjoyed, particularly the CD. I mean, my other love is music, so working in a CD shop or a recording studio really suited me. Uh, it gave me a, a, a sort of an extra interest to pursue when I wasn't writing. Because, of course, one of the most unhealthy, unhealthy things you can do is pursue something like this too obsessively, as I, as I learned to my detriment in the early days. Um, I had a, a sort of a mild social phobia and, and experienced panic attacks and stuff, so mm. staying at home working on writing was very easy to do, but, of course, it wasn't very good for my mental health. So. Sure. <laughs> now, you've written over 27 science fiction and fantasy books. Tell us about your latest one. Well, this year, that's a very complicated question because this year I've had five books out (laughs) due to various schedules sort of uh, colliding across several series. uh, There was a period where it looked like I was going to have four books out in one month, but luckily we avoided that. So uh, the first book that came out this year was uh, Magic Dirt, the best of Sean Williams, which is a collection of sort of combining 15 years of my short stories because when I first started writing, I didn't launched straight into novels, I I started writing short stories, figuring that would be a good way to explore lots of different genres and get a feeling of completion 
with each story that I finished rather than having to wait a year to finish a novel. Sure. It's be a bit depressing. So that was the first book that came out, and that covers horror, fantasy, science fiction, humour, literary fiction, poetry, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I've had a, a kid series start this year, um, the Broken Land series, which yeah. is um, um, a series of the Changeling and the Dust Devils came out this year. They're uh, fantasy set uh, in very Australian landscapes. I also had the second book in my Astropolis um, Far Future Space Opera series, which is sort of a gender-bending gothic noir uh, exploration of what humanity might be like in a a million and a half years from now, which has been a lot of fun. And I also had Star Wars The Force Unleashed come out a couple of months ago, which is the the tie-in novel to the latest um, Star Wars computer game. Uh, And the book is based on the, the story of the computer game and was the first ever... Uh, tie into a computer game to debut at number one on New York Times bestseller list. So that was very exciting. Mm. So all very different books, um, all a lot of fun. And how can you be so prolific? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, uh, one, this is all I do. Um, yes. I'm not like a lot of writers who have to maintain a day job. Um, that makes that gives me a big advantage. Um, to I really love writing. I love the writing process. So I know that's different for a lot of writers who really dislike having to sit down and write new words from scratch. I'm very lucky in that, that I love that part. And three... Um is there a three? <laughs> I, I try to work every day. So when I'm writing a novel, I write 1,500 words a day. Uh, and in fact, that's an upper limit. When I'm in the middle of a novel, um, I, I get a bit obsessive. My obsessive tendencies, tendencies come out and I would tend to sit there and write all day, every day, uh, producing vast amount of words that would get progressively worse and worse <laughs> writing too fast. So, so I try to write 1,500 words. And if you write 1,500 words a day, uh, you can write a novel in three months. Right. Uh, and if you do that two times a year, then you've written two novels a year. So um, I've been writing full-time for 10 years and part-time for the 10 years before that. Mm, uh, mm. And that kind of works out to about 27 novels. So so do you <laughs> do you have a routine? Like, can you describe to us your when you're writing, can you describe to us your typical working day? Like, is there something that you need to do in the morning before you sit down at your computer and, you know, that kind of thing? I get up in the morning and have a very light breakfast, uh, make a decaf coffee, uh, sit at the computer, check my email, and then start writing. Uh, when the 1,500 words is done, um, I can take the rest of the day off if I want, although usually I don't. Usually I, there's emails to answer, there's um, articles to read, books to read, accounts to be done, bills mm. to be paid, all that sort of stuff. So one thing I've noticed uh, since I became a full-time writer is that uh, sometimes it seems like there's less time to write because all this, there's all this extracurricular material that needs to be done because yes. you, suddenly you're going from doing something as a hobby in your spare time to running a a business, uh, being an exporter and uh, having to do your own accounts and maintain your own tax and all that sort of stuff, which uh, can be quite tiresome dealing with agents, dealing with publishers. And when you've got five books coming out in one year, there's there's lots of copy editing to be done, lots of promotion work to be done, mm. um, and it really adds up. So I, although I really like my 1,500 a word, 1,500 words a day schedule when I'm writing a novel, I probably only get to do that for about half the year, and the, the rest of the year is all the extra stuff, touring and... Uh, Sure. Like Which I really enjoy too, but it's a different kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And in the midst <laughs> of all the, all of that, you need to have the time and space to create your stories and create the worlds around you. So is there somewhere that you go to for inspiration or where do your ideas come from? Ideas come from everywhere, all, all around me. Uh, 
I'm lucky in that my fantasy uh, series are set right here in very South Australian landscapes, so if I want to be inspired by to write a book like that, I just need to get in a car and drive out into the Flinders Ranges or drive to my old family town out at Cow and uh, and just soak, just stand there and soak up the amazing landscape. Um, so that's good. But when you're writing something that's set, say, a million years from now, like the Astropolis series, that's a bit more complicated because you can't visit these places. Uh, you have to... Uh, uh, cogitate quite uh, deeply on what, how things will have changed or what possibilities might emerge for characters and, uh, and, and our species as a whole. Mm. And that happens well, at several levels, I guess. I mean, they're, they're sitting down and doing actual hard number-crunching kind of research uh, um, through books or magazines like New Scientist and, or online. And then there's um, um, letting the ideas just kind of stew in the background. I'm a big believer in... Uh, uh, Passive research, where you, you pour as much information as possible into your brain, into the giant cauldron in the brain, and let it just sort of stew there and and and, uh, and see what emerges over time in dreams or in insights while you're in the shower or um, while you're focusing on a problem. It's amazing what the uh, the brain can produce, of, apparently out of nowhere, but actually from that that vast cauldron of facts that are swimming around, bumping into each other, and uh, coming up with strange combinations that may lead to wonderful new ideas. Mm-mm. And did you ever think, because you, you said, you know, Star Wars came out when you were 10 and obviously it had an impact on you, did you ever think you'd end up, you know, writing about Star Wars in a sense? I would have loved to. If, if you'd said to me when I was 10, uh, you'll be writing these books one day, uh, I would have just loved that thought. I wouldn't have believed it because you know, Star Wars is so huge and so far away. Um, mm. Skywalker Ranch is really the other galaxy far, far away. But... Um, yeah, I would have absolutely loved the idea. I mean, they were, the stories are, you know, they're, they're not going to win Pulitzer Prizes or anything like that, but they're great mythic tales that really uh, tap into uh, stories that seem to be ingrained in the stories of loss and the stories of hope and uh, you know, the great archetypal characters of people like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. They're, they're so resonant in mm. ourselves and in our culture that working in this field is, is immensely exciting. And knowing that there are millions of people out there who will read these books Yes. Exciting and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> How did you get involved with that? How did that happen? I, my co-writer and I, uh, Shane Dix, we wrote several books together, and uh, one series was a, a series very much like Star Wars. In fact, we we set out to try and write a series that was Star Wars combined with an old BBC uh, TV series from the seventies called Black Seven. So something mm. it was a sort of a dark version of Star Wars, you know, spaceships and aliens and all that kind of stuff. And it came to the attention of the editors who were publishing Star Wars novels, and um, a gap opened up in their in their list, and they needed some writers at fairly short notice, so they uh, got in touch with our agent and uh, asked us if we'd be interested, and of course, we absolutely <laughs> were. <laughs> I remember I got the phone call about four o'clock in the morning and uh, danced up and down with glee. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> now, you've, you've written um, in lots of different genres, as you said, you know, horror, literary fiction, you know, kids, adults. Is there... Um, do you have to switch brains kind of thing? What do you do to be able to write in a particular way and then a completely different way? It is. It can be very hard to change gears. Mm. Uh, I'm just changing gear at the moment to write a, another kid's book and then after that I have to write a, a thriller and then after that I have to write a crime novel. So, My um, goodness. It's going to be difficult changing gears. I think uh, I... I rely heavily on the books that I'm reading at the time that I'm writing to keep my brain on the, the straight and narrow. Um, sometimes it goes a bit wrong. When I was uh, writing the first of 
my gothic space opera novels, uh, which are really inspired by gothic literature from the 19th century. Wow. I was unfortunately reading um, novels by the wonderful thriller writer um, Lee Childs, who had a very different style to, to gothic literature, and, uh, and I, I noticed that his style was creeping into my novels, and I had to edit it out mm, right. um, after the fact. So that's unfortunate. But um, it, it, I do try to choose the books that I'm reading very carefully in order to keep me on the straight and narrow, to keep me focused. It's not that I'm stealing ideas from the books, but... Uh, you are what you eat in a way. You know, what goes in affects what comes out. So um, I try to find books that will inspire me to write the way that I want to on a particular topic. So um, um, I'll be reading lots of kids' books over the next few weeks, I think, just to just to get that sense of rhythm and pace, not so much topic, but just the, the way the stories are told. Mm. That's really interesting because some writers actually don't want to read anything in that genre while they're writing um, you know, in that particular genre. So you kind of do it the other way around. Well, I, I don't always read the same genre. Um, it's hard to describe. There's a When I'm going into writing a book, I, I know exactly what kind of voice I want to use. Right. Uh, and I I guess I... There is I mean, there are subtle mind shifts, uh, mind spaces you need to kind of inhabit to write different books, but I, but I think that's, that's in a way less important than getting the, the voice, the tone right. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly for me at the moment. So um, these kids, the kids' books that I'm about to write uh, are kind of all over the shop, a bit of science fiction, a bit of fantasy, a bit of horror. Um, so I'll be changing gears in that respect several times throughout the series, but uh, what's much more important than, than those small changes of gears is getting the character's voice right, getting 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 that unified kind of thread throughout. And once mm-hmm. I've got that voice right, I can tell any kind of story using that voice. Sure. Uh, if that makes sense. So so as long as I'm reading books that give me the right voice, they can be in any genre at all. I did go through a phase. I had a terrible period where I was writing a book every three months for about two and a half years. It was completely insane. <laughs> and I found that they were all science fiction and fantasy, Star Wars, space opera and fantasy. And I found that during the second and second and a half year, I, I couldn't bear to read, read anything in that genre at all. All I read was crime. And I went through a phase a bit like that earlier in the year where I, 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 I read... 20 books in a month and they were all crime novels and uh, right. it just was what I felt like at the time I wasn't writing anything like that but um, that was what I needed to pump into my head to, to write better Sure Now do you um, still workshop your novels or, or anything like that or is that something that you only did early in your writing career? You mean workshop with other writers? Yeah yeah, no, I tend not to. I'm a, I do believe in talking about my books, though. My my long-suffering wife, <laughs> she's absolutely <laughs> wonderful, uh, has to put up with me talking about ideas and bouncing ideas off her, and uh, uh, her interests, as far as reading, tend to lie in a different area, so it's interesting to test things against her. Um, I do believe in the collaborative process. I really enjoy talking to other writers about projects we're both working on or or each other's projects that you know we'll be working on individually. I, I think that getting those ideas out, kicking them around, uh, it's very important, I think, in a way. Sure. Uh, even if it's set up with myself, you know, you can write notes <laughs> on a subject and come back to it three months later and you've forgotten the original ideas and you, uh, and, uh, you can look at them with a, a fresh light. That kind of process is very important too. So when you co-write with Shane Dix, how does mm. that work? How does one co-write a novel? What bits do you do? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we uh, play to our strengths. I, I can write quite quickly uh, and I enjoy... Back in those days, I'd produce these vast rambling first draft that uh, needed a lot of work, uh, whereas he is a, 
um, a very um, close editing, finely focused writer who doesn't write anything until he knows exactly what's going on. So we, and he spends a, you know, a lot of time thinking about before it starts writing. So we decided that I would produce a first draft based mm. on story ideas that we'd agreed on, and then um, he would take that first draft away and edit it and rewrite it. And we did that um, oh, many times over. Um, which came in really handy for me because uh, every now and again, like when we were writing our first three Star Wars novels, I, I hit a point in the third book uh, where I got a bit tired of writing X-Wing dogfight scenes. So uh, I wrote, I hit one of those scenes and I put a little square bracket note saying, insert X-Wing dogfight scene here. Uh, and then went on to the next chapter, which I would normally never do, but I was just exhausted. And it came back from Shane three months later with, with a scene inserted. I thought, this was great. Funny. We didn't normally write like that, but I love the fact that uh, uh, it was like writing... By magic, you know. <laughs> yes. So with your stories, um, when you start writing a novel, have mm. you start with your seed of an idea or, or have you already plotted the whole thing out in your head? I've tried various different methods of doing this. Uh, my mm. first novel was plotted out within an inch of its life. Mm. And the way through, I got really bored. <laughs> I knew what the ending was and, mm. and I stopped writing, which is, of course, not what you want. And with my <laughs> second novel, I, I did the exact opposite. I, I hardly knew anything about it and uh, it became a long, rambling, convoluted affair with lots of dead ends and, and that didn't work either. So somewhere in between those two is where I like to sit. I like to know the beginning. I definitely want to know the end, uh, the final scene, if I can refine it that far. I like really? the structure. Yeah, yeah. So if I can, yeah, it, Sometimes it may change throughout, but I, I like to know exactly where I'm going, what the flavour of that final scene is. Every mm. now and again, there'll be a final line there even. And I like to know the, the, the structure of the novel and key kind of moments, key beats, to use a, a film term, uh, along the way that, um, that I'll, again, I'll be aiming for. So when I get halfway through and I feel completely lost, um, I know that there's, there's, there's somewhere I'm trying to get to and I know some kind of staging posts along the way. Uh, but there's still room for me to kind of riff on the ideas or to take advantage of new ideas that will occur to me along the way. Mm. So you say that you tend to write quite qu- write quite quickly and draft out your first draft, um, but obviously there's a major, you know, revision and editing process after mm. that. What what would you say, what proportion of that first draft kind of remains and what proportion um, gets chucked <laughs> out or changed completely? It depends on the book. Mm. Uh, I, I do think that I'm getting better at writing first drafts as I go along. Mm. Um, I think being so busy as I was a few years back, writing a book every three months teaches you to write pretty good first drafts that are pretty sound mm. uh, and don't require much work. But every now and again, there's a book that, that's a real problem. My, my novel, The Crooked Letter, uh, which came out a few years ago, was a mm. real nightmare. I couldn't get the first third of it right, and, and it was rewritten nine, ten times, and it expanded in length and shrunk in length and it was one of those torturous processes that writers sometimes go through yes. and you end up never feeling that it's quite right and of course it's the book that's won all the awards yes it has. A lot of attention. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't tell but uh, every now and again there's, there's a book like that where you know, whole chunks will go missing and uh, never be seen again right <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the crooked letter you know and and the re- the kind of research you did for it well, the crooked letter was a part of part of the problem with that book. I think was that it's it had been it was a book that I had been thinking about most of my adult life. Mm. My father trained to be a priest when I started training to be a priest when I was about twelve. When I was studying high school, he was going through seminary college and all that sort of stuff, getting a doctorate in divinity. Right. So he was studying religion at the same time I was kind of encountering my trying to work out what my own beliefs were, and um, I found what he was studying very interesting. Uh, and whereas it shored up his faith, it actually started to undermine mine, and I became interested in lots of different. Religions. So for 
a long time, 15 years, I was probably thinking about the ideas that went into the Crooked Letter. Um, I became an atheist in my late teens, uh, but I've remained intensely interested in religion. So when I was coming closer to writing the Crooked Letter, I started to think about what kind of... If, if I assumed that the supernatural existed, what kind of supernatural cosmology could be out there that would make sense to me as an atheist. So incorporating things that we know operate in the real world, like evolution, survival of the fittest, mm. that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, so that was the. So I ended up creating something that I that I <laughs> have often been tempted to launch onto the the world as kind of the first church of the cataclysm. You know, make my own fake religion, earn <laughs> millions of dollars. Uh, but then the difficulty was wrapping a story around that, mm. that idea. And of course, that's very different. Very, very difficult. Very, very hard to do. And uh, I really struggled with it for a while. And um, as I said, was never entirely happy with it. But, <laughs> but a lot of people have liked it. Um, well, definitely, yes. It's won the Dittmar Award and the Aurelius Award, and yeah, it's yeah, done well. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's done well. It was a very, it was a good book to write, and I think it really challenged me in lots of ways. And I do believe in that every book I write should should challenge me in some ways. But like the Crooked mm. Letter was so ambitious and mm. such an overreach in some ways. Um, but I think because I was reaching so far, I developed much more quickly than than if I had written a book that, like, you know, yes. that I felt very safe writing. So with each series, some one series, I. I uh, was challenged to write a, a romance mm-hmm. plot, which I'd kind of avoided before, so mm-hmm. I concentrated a lot on that. In the Astropolis series, I was challenging myself to write sex scenes, um, mm-hmm. you know, writing for kids, writing for young adults, um, writing for um, a mainstream market, like with a crime novel. They're all they're all um, different challenges, and uh, I kind of thrive on them, I think. I, mm-hmm. I, I would, if I did the same thing every book, book after book, I think I'd get bored very quickly. Yes, exactly. So tell tell us what you're right. Tell us what you're working on now. Well, the kid series uh, that's that's what I'm just about to launch into. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a series about a kid who discovers odd little wormholes in his, his front street and ends up in all sorts of different parallel worlds before uncovering a plot that he has to um, deal with before he can go back home. Fabulous. That. Um, I, then the, the thriller, the thriller that's set in New York about now, uh, there seems to be a real interest in kind of end of the world, day after tomorrow kind of stories. And mm. uh, one I've had floating around for several years, so I'll be working on that. Mm. And then after that, a crime novel. I'm doing a PhD, just enrolled in a creative writing PhD. Why would you want? Why? Why? Well, you know, I like a challenge, and, uh, okay. and this is an opportunity to write something different. I've, I've, I've always loved crime novel, crime novels. When I was uh, reading Doctor Who novels when I was a kid, I was also reading Agatha Christie novels. So I've had this other love running through my literary kind of history, and um, this is a chance for me to write this book, right? Uh, which would be good fun. It's also a chance for me to learn how to do academic writing. And it's also an opportunity to, to get a qualification because the, the sad thing is that um, I can be a New York Times best-selling author, I, I can have won lots of awards, but if I decided not to be a writer, yes. I wouldn't be qualified for anything else because uh, I dropped out of my BA years ago to uh, to pursue this life of writing and, and didn't even have that behind me. So a few years back, I went back to do my master's and really enjoyed that process. And uh, and I figure one day I might want to teach at the right. tertiary level and right. having a doctorate will help. So. Sure. Lots of good reasons, and I'm working with a wonderful supervisor, Brian Castro, a great Australian writer, so, you know, I'm going to learn tons from him. You must have really good time management skills. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I actually think I'm naturally quite lazy. So. Oh, right. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and finally, what advice would you give to aspiring writers who are listening to this? Well, that's a really difficult question to answer because there's so much advice. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've... 
I've been pondering this question for quite a while because you get asked it a lot. Mm. And uh, I sat down one day to try and write down the, the first principles of writing that you could give to somebody in answer to that question. And I thought things that wouldn't have to be qualified. Like a lot of people say, well, you should find a, a, a writing group. But I'm a, I'm a writer who had a really bad experience with a writing group. So if you're going to give that advice, you kind of have to say, well, maybe it won't work for you, but it does work for some people. So I was trying to find uh, advice that didn't need to be qualified in any way at all. And I came up with ten and a half, ten and a half first principles, ten and a half commandments, I call them, uh, ranging from simple things to like read a lot um, to... Uh, being professional, maintaining a kind of professional attitude at all times. And uh, so when, when people ask me that question, I now say, well, look up Ten and a Half Commandments and you'll find them on my website. <laughs> Great. Okay. And your website is seanwilliams.com? That's right. Yeah. So that's S-E-A-N-Williams.com. That's right. That's Wonderful. One. Well, thank you for your time today, Sean. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Wonderful. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au ValerieKoo.com. That's ValerieKoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.